Happiness runs in a circular motion. Thought is like a little boat upon the sea. Hello, and welcome to Campfires and Color Wars, a podcast about summer camps and the stories we love to tell about them. Like the time we had an evening program where campers from all around camp got to feed Alan Cookie Cook animal crackers, and he proceeded to have to eat 250 animal crackers in the span of an hour. I'm Micah Hart, alongside my co-host Sarah Ballin. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Micah. And for the next 45 minutes or so, we want to press pause on the world we live in and transport back to the days of our adolescence when the school year was just one long rest hour between days at camp. Today's episode, we are happy to be joined by Abigail Wellhouse, who is a writer and a poet living in Brooklyn, and who spent her formative years at Hoofbeat Ridge Camp in Wisconsin, which is a horseback riding camp for girls. Um, We are very interested to hear her story. Uh, But before we get to her, uh, Sarah, anything uh, exciting going on in your world? Well, as you know, Micah, I live in Austin, Texas, and there's a few things that people like to do in Austin, and one of them is descend upon the city in March and take over downtown for this little festival we have called South by Southwest. Have you heard of it? Uh, I may have come across <laughs> it once or twice. Um, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I am very excited. I am one of those people. Uh, I've got my, my South by Southwest beard already you know, grown in a pretty decent amount. Yeah, you'll fit right in with all the hipsters. Just wear black. That's how we tell the locals from the not locals. <laughs> all of the not locals are all in black and in like long, you know, long black jeans. Yeah, that's, that's what they wear. Black jeans. Well, well, then I guess I'll look like a local because I definitely do not have those. <laughs> um, no, I'm very excited. Uh, this will be my fourth year in a row, fourth, fifth, something like that. Uh, getting to go, um, and uh, very excited about it. Uh, and we actually hung out last South by Southwest. We met up downtown one night. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, I don't know actually if I'm going to get to see you this time around. Uh, there was there was talk of uh, you know I might have to crash at your place to make it affordable, but uh, TBD, TBD. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see. Um, Well, I was um, sort of digging deep online and came across a kind of a fun camp-related and South by Southwest-related article. Uh, It's from a few years ago from a website called CampaignLive.com. Have you ever heard of them? I have not. Okay, uh... well, they're all about creativity. And this woman writer, uh, Maggie Windsor-Gross, not woman writer, just this woman. I mean... (laughs) It is, we're taping this on International Women's Day. I wasn't like a woman writer. I think this woman, who is also a writer. Oh, good for um, her. <laughs> so great that women can do everything these days. Um, she wrote this fun article about how um, Sleepaway Camp is the... Sleepaway Camp and South by Southwest have a lot in common. And how... Um, South by Southwest is the sleepaway camp of the industry. Uh, what industry she's talking about, I'm not really sure. I think she's talking about about creative industry in general. I myself am a film person. I, back in the early 90s, I would get a wristband and I would do South by Southwest Music Festival. I sort of outgrew that because I'm an old, lazy person. And um, I really love the film festival. So when I'm, in, I, sometimes I do stay in town and I do the film festival. So I can't, I can't speak to some of these um, claims that she makes about South by Southwest and camp. So what were her um, claims? So the first one is, is that South by Southwest is awesome when it's sunny 
and terrible when it rains. That is and true. Yeah, it is. And sometimes it's even cold. But here is a secret that I'm about to tell everybody. I actually really love it when it's cold and rainy during South by Southwest because then all of the people who are here visiting don't come here from their like snowy, well, there's no snow in Chicago. I was going to say snowy Chicago, but they're snowy, cold, you know, places where they live and all of a sudden come to Austin where it's super sunny and blue skies and people are wearing shorts and you know, swimming on top of rooftops, and uh, they all want to move here. So I actually really like it when it's gross weather because then people get a bad, they have a bad time, and they don't want to come back. So. All right, that, that's fair. Keep Austin weird. I'm with you. Yeah, keep Austin cold and rainy. I think. <laughs> um, so the other thing she says is that at South by Southwest, you can meet new friends, just like camp. Yep. So I think, I think that's pretty accurate. When I'm I like to meet friends in in line. I'm like one of those people in my in my uh, in in the last few years. I've become one of those people who talk to people in line uh, if they're interesting. I mean, if they're if they seem like they're cool. And so when you're waiting in line for movies, if you just have a wristband and not a badge or something, you can wait like a good 20, 30 minutes. And it's always kind of fun to talk, especially towards the end of the festival. Like, what have you seen? What what are you going to see? Oh, I heard that was good. Or stay away from that. Or I couldn't get into that. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I tend to approach uh, going to South by. I think that is, you know, an attitude you typically tend to have at camp of sort of say yes to things. Uh, you know, you're, you're there to kind of see what's going on and try new things. And I think you won't get as much out of it if you don't sort of have that. All right. If somebody asks me if I want to try something, you know, within reason. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like going. You can't. You can always walk out of a party. That's right. You know? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so no, I, I I'm gonna agree with that one as well. Um, to reconnect with old friends. That is that's her third reason why Sleepaway Camp and South by Southwest are very similar. And you know, I really just as an Austinite, I don't necessarily, and I'm not in the industry. I don't reconnect with friends in that way, but I have certain friends that come to Austin during that week, either for um, interactive or film or music. And so I get to see some people when they make their way down to Austin just for this week. Yeah. You know, actually just on that note, uh, I did notice today because I'm, I'm a late addition to the South by Southwest uh, dance card this year. Uh, I did see that they actually have a podcast stage uh, and you could submit to be featured uh, as a podcast on the podcast stage. Uh, however, the deadline was a couple months ago. So, uh, you know, hey, uh, hashtag squad there's, goals 2018, Sarah. Ha- hashtag there's always next year. That's right. That's right. <laughs> We're going to mark the date for the deadline. And uh, who knows? Who knows? Um, and then the last thing she says, which this doesn't really apply to me, but maybe applies to you, is learn new skills. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Skills, that's maybe a strong term, but I definitely, one of the things I love the most about going to South By, uh, God, I, f- I sound like such a pompous ass when I call it South By. Everybody um, calls it South By. That's right. Everybody calls it that, so I'm safe. Um, I feel like every year I try to go to at least one or two things that have nothing to do with, with anything sort of that I'm familiar with, and I feel like I always leave having learned something interesting. So I don't know if it's a skill per se, Last year, uh, I learned uh, about Mars exploration and how uh, we're going to be going to Mars very soon. Uh, that is so useful. Uh, it might be. I tell you <laughs> what, it sounds more and more enticing by the day right now. Not going to lie. 
Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I, I agree with that. I agree with most of those things on that list and, uh, I will, I will check out, uh, what was the website called again? It is campaignlive.com. It's an article by Maggie Windsor Gross from a few years ago. So we like that one because it, uh, combines two things we love, South yeah. by and summer camp. Yeah. Well, good on you, Maggie. Um, all right. Well, uh, I think we should, uh, we'll move on to, uh, talking to Abigail, um, I really enjoyed talking to her. I know we say that about just about every guest. It's going to be fun one day when we have a guest we don't like that much. We're like, you know what? You don't have to listen to all these episodes. We don't. We, realistically, we don't expect you to listen to every episode of this podcast, except for you know, our immediate families. But uh, no, I really, I thought Abigail was great. Really enjoyed talking to her uh, and learning all about uh, horses and, and horse camp and. Abigail is cool, and she is another Brooklynite. We sort of were going through the list of uh, of. Brooklynites that we've had on the show, New Yorkers we've had on the show. So one day, if we ever get up there, we'll have a little campfires and color wars uh, meet up so we can see all of our past guests and maybe some listeners too. Yeah. Um, so look for us in Brooklyn. Um, all right. <laughs> and with that, uh, let's listen to our interview with Abigail. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Micah. Thanks for having me. Hey, Abigail. Hey, Sarah. How are you? I totally see. And look at that. We already, you already (laughs) asked you how you wanted to be called, Abby or Abigail. You're like, Abigail. We're like, yeah, no problem. We'll call you Abigail. And right out the box, I'm like, what's up, Abby? And I just went with it and didn't even notice. (laughs) That's because you're a camp person. It's true. We roll with it. We're flexible. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. You know, it's, I was I was saying this off off air, but uh, I, this part throws me because Sarah's usually the one that introduces the guest, and I'm trying to you know I'm I'm expanding my boundaries. I don't want to be you know pigeonholed into one role in this thing. So well, sure. Uh, I obviously still have some work to do, but thank you very much for joining us, Abigail. Um, and uh, you know, for the for the listeners. Um, I was interested in talking to you because I saw an article that you wrote for Billfold uh, a few months back uh, talking about uh, how summer camp is uh, a job that's actually more uh, lucrative than you than one might think uh, in a certain way, um, which is a weird thing to say because most people make uh, jack shit as summer camp counselors, or, or, or on paper at least. Uh, so I saw that and I loved it. Um, and definitely wanted to talk to you for that reason. But the other thing that really stood out uh, is that you were a camp counselor and a camper for a long time uh, at Hoofbeat Ridge Camp, which is a horseback riding camp. Is that right? That is right. And I always have to be clear when I use the terminology horse camp that it is a camp for people and not for horses. (laughs) That was actually one of my questions, and I didn't know if people who went or worked at horseback riding camps – are, do they get offended when you call it horse camp? No, that- definitely not. I think using the term horseback riding camp is maybe a little bit more clear, but horse camp might actually be more accurate because it's not only riding, but also learning about horses and how to take care of them and all of that. And then the other question I have, tell me, I feel like this is like a no shame zone. Is it offensive to call someone a horse girl? Like, are do you consider yourself a horse girl? Or is that not, no, you would not, you'd be like, that's offensive, don't call me that. Well, now I think I would go with horsewoman. But okay. <laughs> when I was at camp, I'm basing some of my assumptions about what is or not offensive on the limited two shirts that everyone would wear. I don't know if either of you remember this store, the limited two, but it was a major preteen mall store uh, when I was going to camp. And they 
most years would have one shirt that had a horse on it. So everyone who's at camp is going around their daily life and their middle school and they're wearing this horse shirt and they're the only one they know who has this shirt. And then they show up at horse camp and all of them have the same shirt that says horse girl or it's got a picture of a little girl in a top hat with a horse or anything like that. Now, is limited, is limited 2, is that like a sequel to The Limited or is that limited as well? Like T-O-O or... Well, it's T-O-O. It's okay. li- The Limited for children, but I, it doesn't exist anymore. Ah, R.I.P. Um, what, uh, what drew you originally? I mean, we want to hear sort of your background and how you ended up uh, a horse girl and now a horse, uh, horse lady. Horse, uh, horse woman. Um, a horse girl at horse camp. I can yeah. be a horse lady. That's fine too. Yeah. Although uh, I feel like the connotations of that might be different. I don't know. It <laughs> uh, seems more refined, like a dressage kind of. Uh, <laughs> or like, oh, or side saddle. I don't know how to ride side saddle, but I'd love to learn. So maybe if someone hears the word horse lady, they might think that they could teach me how to do side saddle. That that's actually the only reason we started this podcast was for our guests to eventually learn to ride side saddle. <laughs> Um, Good. So it's like a matchmaking service yes, for instructors with interested is, students. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I know. But this yeah, conversation's so, going off the rails, guys. <laughs> Rain it back in. Oh, look oh, at you! I, I can't. I, can I just say I've already had? I've already had like five different horse puns go through my head <laughs> that I have un, that have gone uncommented, and I've just the the brain part of my brain that's like, all right, dad joke, slow it down. Uh, I'm I'm trying to keep it to a minimum, but uh, they they may slip. Why out though? You can bring the dad jokes. <laughs> um, I right. think dad jokes are also camp jokes. That's true. No, tell us a little bit about uh, about uh, you went to camp. Uh, I'm going to say it right, Mazamani or no? Sorry, yes, Hoopbeat Ridge Camp in Mazamani, Wisconsin. You got it. Um, so how did you end up there? Tell us, uh, you know, a little bit about your background uh, as far as that goes, and um, yeah, tell us all about it. Sure. Well, I think at a certain age, a horse girl is almost indistinguishable from a girl. So I was interested in horses like most other girls my age. And I started taking a couple lessons growing up in Wisconsin. And then I was looking for different camps. And I tried out another horse camp before I found this one that really became my home all throughout my childhood and teenage years and into college. And started going there. And the whole approach of learning all about horses and being able to have that common ground with everyone I met there was really amazing because you can always have that conversation starter of, Oh, who did, what horse did you ride today? What do you think about this? It was sort of our, our shared obsession. So I am a teacher and I was telling Micah before that I like every year I have a horse girl in my class. Like <laughs> there is always at least one. And you know, in some ways, yeah, horse girls are just like other girls, but in a lot of ways, they're really different, mostly because it takes a lot of time. And I would even say money to be a horse girl, a lot of time and a lot of money to be a horse girl. And um, so it kind of eventually separates those girls from the other kids who are like maybe playing soccer after school or joining a sports team of some kind. And they're like at the stable you know, on the weekends and they're going to, maybe they're going to competitions on the weekends and it does kind of like separate them. But so I can imagine that going to a camp full of people just like you, you know, and we talked about this before on the show, like camp is about finding your people. So that moment when you walk into camp and all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is where all of those girls who are just like me are. That must be pretty amazing. 
Yeah, it is amazing. And I did have a couple friends at school when I was and as an elementary school that I think crossed over into the horse girl where it was separated from regular girl where we ran around the playground, pretended we were horses. We had this elaborate. Did you do that in tandem or by yourself? I mean, like, were you like the front legs and somebody was oh, the back oh, legs? Oh, no, we or? our own horse. Okay, just clarify. You know, I I had a girl. I had a, I had a girl a few years ago. She was so smart, so sweet, such a beautiful girl. But when she got mad at me, she whinnied at me. That was. I swear. Okay. I swear. That's that's, that's amazing. I, I never I never did that, but I just want to back for a second of horse girls necessarily needing to have money because I think there are many horse girls who do. And if you are going the competition route, then yes, horse shows are extremely expensive. But I think you can also be a horse girl without really even having access to real horses. So that's, well, that's I, true. I read all the saddle club books. I read all the thoroughbred books. I had these elaborate games with my friends where we would. I don't even remember exactly how we did this, but we had the names of fictional horses that we made up and we somehow had a game of chance where we would race them and then write out all the stories. So there's a lot of, of horse interest stuff you can do when you're nowhere near an actual live animal. Right. But you actually got to be around live animals. And I'm wondering, like, when you get to camp, does every girl have their own horse or do you share a horse among a cabin or how does how does that work? And how many girls are at were at your camp? Well, the camp that I went to and that I eventually worked at had about 65 at a time that were campers. And that made it, at the time, the smallest camp that was registered at the American Camping Association. So it was very small, and it was split into six cabins. It started out co-ed when I started as a camper for half the summer, and then business sort of took over where there was a huge long wait list for girls and not for boys. So by the time that I was moving up into riding instructor and training program to become a counselor, it was girls only by that point. Um, but for horse assignments, this, this place had, oh, between, I may get the numbers a little bit off, but between, I would say 50 and 60 horses at any given time. And the mornings would be set up in this three-way rotation where everyone would have a riding lesson. They would have an hour where they're learning about horses, which we called horse science. So how to groom, how to saddle, how to, what to feed a horse, how to breed horses, all sorts of things like that. And we'd separate those into different levels according to knowledge. And then we also had what we called a down the hill skill. And to explain this, I need to specify that the barn was at the top of a hill. So anything that was down the hill was not with horses. So you could do arts and crafts, you could do sports, you could do painting, something that was a different activity that we had every week. So the barn director would go through and assign horses based on ability, and you would mostly ride a different horse every day. Although if you really loved a particular horse, you could put their name in the horse request box, which was a Kleenex box when I started that was covered with a collage of horses. And you would write in, I am in the second hour Western class. My instructor is Brittany and I want to ride Quincy. And then you would put it in there and the barn director would go through and often throw out a lot of ones. I later learned that as a counselor because kids don't really know that maybe a particular horse is beyond their riding ability. So, or size or any of that. So that would be factored into when they were making the assignment. I love that aspect of it because one of my favorite things about being a counselor at camp is messing with the kids. And I can just <laughs> see that being so much fun of like, 
oh, you requested Quincy. No, this is Quincy. And it's <laughs> oh, like, it's oh, like no. no, Quincy was black, and this horse is gray. No, 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 Quincy had a shower yesterday, and now okay. she's back to being gray. That's her natural color. Like, just coming up with all the different excuses for why the, the, the kid would end up with whichever horse they would. I would enjoy that. Like, if that was literally just my entire job at horse camp every single day, to break that news to the campers, I would have I would have enjoyed that. <laughs> you know, we didn't do that, but I did observe a strategy once for doing a tiebreaker when two people wanted the same horse, where the barn director would say, all right, I'm thinking of a number, it's behind my back, and whoever picks the closest number wins. And I learned later on that was totally rigged, where if one rider was really not the right fit for the horse, just, oh, and the other person wins, which is pretty smart way to do it, I think. <laughs> So I love that you had other activities. Did people enjoy doing like arts and crafts and swimming? And did you have dedicated counselors or did people like double up as a, you know, a Western riding instructor and then they also taught backstroke in the afternoon or something? We had a little bit of both. We did not have a lake or a pool at the camp. So <laughs> no Also dramatically between pretty much all the other camps that I've heard you talk about, because it's such a central part of a lot of people's camp life. But we would have most years staff that would come to us from other countries through various programs. It was usually CCUSA where we'd get an, uh, a counselor from Australia or England or some English-speaking country. And often, but not always, they were people who would teach some of the down-the-hill skills. And then there was also a ver variety where if I was a riding instructor, it's really tough to teach these types of lessons three in a row. And so often you would do one or two riding lessons and then you would spend an hour, another hour either teaching the horse science or doing down the hill. So we'd mix it up every week. And when I became program director, that was part one part of my job is figuring out how to put people in spaces that they liked and that worked out for everybody. So at Jewish camp, it's kind of the opposite. You have all of the people to teach the downhill skill uh, hill skills and you have to hire out to teach the horseback riding. So we did have horseback riding <laughs> at my camp, but like in general, and I'm not saying that this, sometimes people get mad at me when I make bold statements like what Jews do and what Jews don't do. But in general, Jews are not really horseback riders. Like that's not just something that we do. Like there are Jewish horseback riders, <laughs> Jewish girls do. I understand that, but in general, like, well, at least in Texas anyway, like it's your- it's Much more about steers. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, Micah. Cows. Oh, yes. We are much more about cows. No, yes, much more about cows. I was just going to ask, what are, like, the best counselors like at horse camp? Like, what, what, are, what is the, the most amazing horse, horse camp counselor like for a girl who's a horse girl who comes to camp? I think there are certain counselors that manage to have this sort of charisma and mystique, and I don't think that's unique to horse camp. But I'm yeah. thinking of a couple counselor friends of mine where, well, my friend Jenny tells the most amazing stories. And so kids had become really obsessed with hearing her stories night after night. And she also had a hat that she wore all the time. So the kids would be really excited if they got to wear her hat for the moment. And I think any kind of riding ability and being able to see someone as a confident person who knows what they're doing around horses can be really inspirational for a young girl especially maybe who doesn't have a lot of experience yet how did you find the single sex uh nature of camp um did you find that to like we've had conversations about girls camp on the podcast before and, I, and i've talked to other uh females about this as well 
Um, did you find that to be an, uh, one of the dynamics that was that drew you to the camp itself, or did that not factor into it at all? Yeah, you know, I really liked it. I did not have an equivalent camp that was co-ed that I would have been picking between one or the other. So it was the camp that was a horse camp, and I liked it, and it happened to be all girls. But I did end up really liking that dynamic, and I think it also allowed me to see girls moving into leadership roles and having that sort of time away from guys when I was at an age when that was something that was on my mind a lot in particular and trying to meet guys and trying to get guys to like me which they were not interested in me at all in high school so it was nice to just have that respite where you didn't even have to worry about it and you could just be grungy and meet and hang out your friends. I think that's the best part of being a horse girl from the things that I read about like why girls like horses or why girls like unicorns or dolphins you know they have this sort of the things that girls love and part of it is sort of like this escapism and sort of, you know, not having to deal with some of those social pressures. I'm not saying that's true for everybody, but um, this idea of the horse or the dolphin or the unicorn sort of like taking you away from something. Um, and it's kind of magical, like horses and unicorns and dolphins are kind of magical animals. So actually only be... one of those things is a magical animal. I'd just like to clarify. I, no, you know what? I, <laughs> no, I think, I think they're all I... magical animals too. <laughs> I, but I, I'm, you reminded me that there was a discussion on other podcasts about watching your counselors get ready. And I think that is amplified at a horse camp also. And I remember as a counselor also where you would get ready and you would do so little. You would take a shower. You would put on some clean pants and a clean shirt. Maybe you'd put on a little lip gloss and everyone would go, wow, you look amazing and make a huge deal out of you, which is something I still get a kick out of with my colleagues that I I teach therapeutic horseback riding lessons now. So I still have some people who know me primarily as my barn self. And then you go to another event and everyone's dressed up and you go, wow, you're, you're a human. You took a shower and you're, you're a person. Good for you. What is therapeutic? therapeutic good lord therapeutic uh horseback riding like like what does that entail so the program other than horseback riding (laughs) right now well it's primarily horseback riding but mainly um i got certified as a therapeutic horseback riding instructor which specifically certifies me to teach lessons for people who have disabilities so the program that i work with gallup nyc focuses on that and so it's a riding lesson and taking that into account in terms of teaching styles and we have some volunteers also that are helping out sometimes with leading horses and providing extra support and that sort of thing. All right. So I have to ask, um, Mm -hmm. this is a completely ignorant question as most of mine, I feel like have been tonight. I don't think of New York city as a particularly horseback riding friendly, uh, place. Other than the police officers, I was going to say, so where where are you taking people horseback riding in the city? Is it all in we Central are Park? All, or we are you're just... all over the place. We've, we work with a couple different barns and recently just got some of our own locations also um, in Queens, in Brooklyn, in the Bronx. So we're we're everywhere. Oh. Not Manhattan yet. Okay. That's that's what I think about. So I, I was, I was going to say, I'm just sort of picturing, you know, you're like trying to like, someone's had a, you know, a terrible accident or whatever, and you're trying to calmly get them through this difficult time in their life, and you're just, like, strolling Watch through out. Times Square. <laughs> that would be very, very sad to try to do that. No, no. So 
you wrote an article uh, for Bill Fold, uh, which is a great blog um, that I highly recommend, uh, about sort of the, the financial side of being a, a counselor at camp. It seems like peanuts. Uh, it is peanuts. Um, but at the same time, you still end up kind of net uh, more money than, than you would think if you just sort of had a, a, a random summer job. So I was just sort of curious, like, what, uh, what, what spurred you to, to write that? And, and did you find that to be the case for yourself, that you, uh, that you did make more than you thought? I found that to be absolutely be the case because didn't have to worry about paying rent, didn't have to worry about paying for food. And my brother, Zach, helpfully pointed out at the time that when you work at a camp and your food is included, the more you eat, the more you get paid. I love that. So I really challenged that and ate a lot of bacon and pancakes and all sorts of things that you sweat off when you're working in a barn. And so there's that aspect of it. There's also the fact that you don't have a ton of time off generally when you work at a camp. And so you don't have time to spend money. And at least when I started, we didn't even have Wi-Fi at camp. We all shared one computer. So we wouldn't have done online shopping. We wouldn't have done anything like that. It was we, would, we were at camp, and then when we went out on days off, we'd go to the local fast food restaurant. So you end up, when you're living like that, not spending very much at all and having more than you think by the time the summer ends. So this, this afternoon, I texted uh, some of my camp friends to remind me how much we made our first summer. So we're talking, I'm, da- I'm dating myself here, but summer of 1991, and I think I made $1,000 for the whole summer. So it's like eight or nine weeks. And I thought I was really getting a good end of the deal because they also paid for my airfare. So I was like, that's like an extra $400 or whatever it was at the time. And I thought that that was a lot of money. So I think like also you're 18 and I don't know what 18 year olds think about money these days really. But when I was 18 in 1991, I thought $1,000 was a lot of cash. Micah, how much did you make? Yeah, I think it was probably somewhere in that neighborhood. I think it was probably like, maybe 1200 my first summer and i think by the time my last summer on camp you know and i was cpr certified so you know there were a couple Ooh, little extra ex- that's right extra little bonuses you could get but i think the most i probably ever made was something like 16 or 1700 dollars which again for for nine weeks uh is is not a lot of money but but abigail your point is right like you're not paying for food you're not paying for housing uh you you get out two or three times you know, a month. So maybe, you know, five or six for the whole summer. And like, all we did essentially was just like, go to Target and right. buy a oh, bunch of dumb shit. Oh, but you went crazy at Target. Sure. Oh, crazy at Target. Like right. go through, going through Target and buying so much stuff that Why? you don't need just because you haven't seen civilization <laughs> in two weeks. So like every two weeks we would go to a laundromat and do laundry with all of the kids that were there for longer than two weeks. And I was there with my, my friend Naomi, who was also a counselor. And she said, do you want to go to the gas station and just look at things? <laughs> just look. And I think of that a lot because that is a very pleasurable thing to do sometimes is not even to buy anything. You go and pick up all the cool socks at Target and you think, I don't need to own these, but I like that they exist. <laughs> just to touch them is nice. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think you're right about it's fun to go to gas stations and just look at things. <laughs> Uh, it is. I mean, well, the things that they sell are too, very interesting. When we're so cloistered off for that time, and we don't necessarily get into town so much, 
it's an exciting field trip when you when you go somewhere, even if it's not something that you would generally think of in your everyday life as exciting. Now, was there no way to spend money at camp? Did you have canteen or anything like that that would? Uh... Oh, we did. We called it Trading Post. Of course, and you did. Yes, we did, and it was a way I figured out was getting kids very sugared up right before bed. But somehow it kind of worked out. It was sort of our relaxing post-evening activity time where you could buy candy or drinks and hang out and run around. And I was discussing with a camp friend earlier today that we learned this dance for Cotton Eye Joe. And we do that in Texas. Okay, but we think that the dance that we learned may have been unique to this camp because she said she's been watching YouTube videos to try to find the same one, and she can't find it. And before I started talking to you all, I was figuring out if I could find it, and I think it may have been made up. Not the cotton night. So anyway, that's what we would do at night. We'd eat a lot of sugar, and we'd make up dances that somehow became universal and passed on through generations. So the only place that we could spend money at camp, really, we had sort of an after hours cafe for the first few years that I worked there. And the camp that I worked at was called Green Family Camp. And it was the cafe was aptly called Tavern on the Green. And you could go there and like at the beginning of the summer, you could buy a punch card for $10 or something. And then you could show up late at night after the kids were in bed and you could order french fries or omelets or pancakes or whatever the chef was making that night and things were like 50 cents so that ten dollar card would last you the entire summer but that was pretty much the only place that i remember being able to spend money um so it was for counselors only it was for counselors only so there was a time when counselors would put their kids to bed and and they would go off campus and they would like drink and come back this is like before you know this is like in the 80s and so then they wanted ways for people to stay on camp. So they thought, well, if we offer food really cheap, and I think there were like root beer floats and sodas and all sorts of fun things that you couldn't get during the day. Um, so that's what sort of kept people on camp. And and uh, that was kind of fun. Yeah. It, it sounds like it must have been a much bigger camp, too. Oh, yeah. It was a, you know, hundreds of kids. So okay. there, yeah. I mean, we had we had our counselor's lounge, but it definitely did not include a chef. It was a former chicken coop. <laughs> that had gotten some couches. And also I mentioned a minute ago the computer that we all shared to check our email when I first started working there. And so there was that. There was a landline phone, which people would pull outside the counselor's lounge. We called it the CL and close the door and sit so you could furtively talk to your boyfriend on the phone on your landline. We uh, had a payphone in our counselor's lounge. Yeah, in the staff lounge, we had a payphone. And if you wanted to call home, you had to have a credit card, which, I mean, I don't know. I was 18. I don't know if I had a credit card or I would call collect. Or you'd have to tell your boyfriend or your parents to call you at a certain time on a certain day. And then you'd be waiting by the phone. And you would see, like, especially those international counselors, they would be so like camped out by the phones waiting for phone calls from their families at all weird hours of the day because they were, you know, the time difference. But um, yeah, one pay phone in the staff lounge. Yeah, That's was, not the case anymore. I don't remember if we paid for our phone calls. I would think we probably must have. But we also had our own food that we would have packaged up really tightly that we could snack on. So really before camp got wireless, which happened toward the end of when I was working there, people would hang out and talk to each other and eat a lot. 
and oh, play back in the day. I have been to the counselor's lounge or the staff lounge at camp recently, and it's literally like just a bunch of people on their phones. So, yeah. yeah. That's one of those things that I really think we were, you know, every age is different. And, you know, people are always going to say, you know, things were better in my day, whatever. Uh, this is the one area where I truly feel this way uh, about sort of having to make up your own fun and not just be lost on your phones. And that was a great thing about being a staff member uh, at Jacobs, which is the camp that I grew up at Abigail. Um, we also had uh, the staff lounge that had at night uh, a cook uh, chefs, probably a strong term there, Sarah. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it was not chefs. I was, I was letting Abigail go with it, but it was yeah. not chefs. Like one year, my brother was the kitchen manager and my brother was like, the hey, listen, the if they're making you French fries, I count them. That's, as right. Fries. That's <laughs> yes, right. Okay. So like we, that. ours was called it. the, uh, the bait Hazarai, which I believe uh, translates like the pig to, house. to uh, well, I always thought it was told, told me as house of shit. Um, so I don't know <laughs> well, if that uh, tracks or not. I think a chazer is like, is a pig. Well, either way, I, I bought it. That's what they told me. So I never questioned it. Um, but I would almost every single night, you know, so first of all, that was the thing that I remember, at least today, I remember this, that being the thing that the first time count, like the, when the campers got to be CITs and got to be on staff for the first time, that that was the thing that blew their mind about being a staff member, that they had no idea that staff members got to eat at night uh, and, <laughs> and get to have like a short order cook making, you know, burgers and fries. So every night or most nights I would have uh, a fried egg sandwich, fries and a chocolate shake. And I mean, so good, just so delicious. And it was so great because at camp, like you said, you were so active. It didn't matter what you ate. You could, you could just you know, mainline, you know, fun dip. And you were still not going to gain any weight because you were so active. Uh, so eating, you know, eating cheeseburgers and whatnot at one o'clock in the morning every night probably doesn't seem like a great idea now, but uh, it definitely hit the spot then. <laughs> so I have a question. I thought that the counselor's lounge was such a mystery. That's where all the counselors would disappear to every night. So I remember being shocked that it was a converted chicken coop with some couches. That was the mysteries. You sit around and talk because we'd all think, what do they do at night? And that's the answer. Yeah, it's still pretty awesome. Even if it's a chicken coop, it's still pretty awesome to be one of those people who gets to go there. Absolutely. We loved it. We, we had a lot of good times in that converted chicken coop. When you were a counselor, did you ever get tipped by parents who came to pick up their kids at the end of the summer and their daughters had a particularly amazing summer? Did you ever get like slipped a 50 or a 20 or no some kind of gift me either i happened to me no never happened to me either micah and i were talking before and he was saying that some camps there the counselors don't get paid very much by the camp but they make bank at the end of the summer from parents who found out from their kids that their kids had a great time no i don't even think it was the parents found out they had their kids had a great time i think it was like oh. expected like oh. everybody had to sort of pony up a little extra cash for the counselors. And, and that's just so, ah, that feels so weird to me. Like, I mean, what if, what if your kid, I mean, I, I get anxious just how much pay, my wife and I argue about how much to pay the babysitter. So like, I can only imagine someone's watched your kid for, for four weeks, for eight weeks. Like what's the appropriate amount of money yeah. to give as a tip? And let's be honest, there is no amount of money that can ever, like, 
equal the time, energy, and love you put into a kid when you are their counselor. No, I mean, it's, it's like I cleaned up their vomit. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's like I took care of you when you had a 103 degree fever in the infirmary. <laughs> it's at- kind of the same thing with being a teacher. It's like p- parents give me gifts and I, I really appreciate them and I really love them. But really there's there's nothing, there's like not a monetary value to like the time and energy I, I give to their kids. They it's a nice gesture. They don't tip you at the end of fifth grade? I don't get tipped, but I do get nice gifts. I, I do get nice gifts. Appropriate gifts. Nothing nothing crazy. Appropriate, nice teacher gifts. I was thinking but, uh, that there's no amount of money that you wouldn't give a counselor for taking the child off your hands. Well, that's what I'm month. saying. I mean, what do you do? Like, $1,000 isn't enough, you know? A two th- like, 20 bucks, that's kind of insulting, and $1,000 isn't really enough, so... Yeah, but no, we never we never got tipped. Like barely even a thank you, you know, from the parents. From oh, the parents, to be the honest. Best, the, I mean, the best is when a camper would write to you after camp was over. That's yeah, so much better than any kind of parental anything. It's just having someone say to you, "You made a difference in my life, and I want to keep in touch with you." Are you still friends with some of your campers? Or are you friends with some of your counselors? I guess it would go both ways. Oh, both ways. Are you still friends with any of your horses? uh, Well, forever. Although the sad thing (laughs) is a lot of the horses from when I was a camper anyway are dead by this point. Which is sad. And now I'm a little bit out of the loop where sometimes I don't even know. And so I just see a picture on Facebook of the herd and I go through and I try to spot. Quincy! Quincy. Wait, Quincy is a real horse. Quincy was one of my favorites. All right, I feel like we can move on to the last part of our of our talk. This is always the fun part. Always some good conversations, and this is our um, our campfires and color wars questionnaire title pending. So if you have something for us, let us know. Um, do you have ever kissed anybody at camp? For I your, never did. Your first kiss, your best kiss. Did do you ever kiss a horse? Did a horse ever kiss you? <laughs> You know, it's funny that you ask that question about kissing a horse, because at the first camp that I went to when I was eight, I came home from camp and my parents said, your lips look kind of puffy. Have you been kissing horses? And apparently eight-year-old me said, well, yeah. Of course. I probably do kiss horses. I think I would like kiss horses, you know, all the time, kiss them goodbye and kiss them hello. They don't understand it. It's not really their language exactly. So the temptation is there definitely for a lot of people to kiss and hug a horse, but hugging to a horse, if, especially if they're not used to it, is a little bit threatening because they're prey animals in the wild, right? Yeah. How do you let a horse know that you like them? Gentle pets, and sometimes they like to be scratched in certain places. Like a lot of horses like to be scratched between the ears, or they like to be kind of pet underneath their jaw or on their shoulder. Hold, just like boys. Hold on, <laughs> wait. Uh, just one quick question to make sure I understood this correctly. When you say sure. a prey animal, does that mean uh-huh. they are the hunter or the huntee? It means that they are the huntee. They oh, okay. run away. Sorry, yeah. for a second there, I thought you were saying that they were like the hunter, and it was about to blow my goddamn mind to all of a sudden <laughs> picture horses out there in nature just like wrecking shit and chasing yeah. after other i'm like I, that's against my <laughs> imaginary oh yeah they chase after rabbits and squirrels and then they consume them just like one just <laughs> down, the, down the gullet that's a horrifying image <laughs> 
I feel so, like that, that is not true. I'm taking an equine <laughs> nutrition class right now, and I just need to clarify that horses do not eat rabbits. They're no, squirrels. They're, they're vegetarians. Horses yes. are vegetarians. They eat yes. grass. They eat grass. And so, it, is there um, is there a talent show at horse camp? There wasn't a talent show per se, but the counselors and myself included had a habit of singing to cabins as they were trying to get to sleep. Okay, and so tell us about that. Sure. So you would sing to your own cabin, but if you were really on your hustle and maybe getting a lot of questions from campers, oh, why don't you come to sing to my cabin? You might do a whole rotation where you sing to yours and you go around to everybody else. And so many of the counselors did this that one of the lies that I made up for fun to tell children, because sometimes that's fun, is that go counselors on. have to audition to work at camp. Oh, and you had to audition? Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you, what kind of songs did you sing? Songs that you made up or songs that were like just regular pop songs on the radio? It was more old school campfire songs. Like some, get some John Denver, leaving on a jet plane, okay. do some lean on me. There were sometimes pop songs and also Disney songs, always popular. There mm. were sometimes some made up songs, but I'd say more often it was, you know, we sang songs from other places and sometimes had to, switch a couple lyrics to make them more appropriate for a camp setting. Are there any horse camp songs, like horse theme songs that we don't know about in regular camp world? The theme yeah. song for Mr. Ed? There definitely are. Would you like to share one with us? Oh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, well, one that I think is probably made up by camp because the name of the camp is in the song and I don't remember the origin of this. Is a, it's, it's a counting song, and it starts out one by one. We're having lots of fun at Hoofy Ridge, da 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 and goes on from that. No, we used to sing that. Did you sing that? No, I'm kidding. No, you were lying. <laughs> no, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe other camps work in their name to it, because it's well, not totally unique, Well, right? I know a song that was similar to that that we sang uh, as juvenile boys, uh, but it was by Two Live Crew. So I'm guessing it wasn't quite exactly the same. Probably not. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else for specifically horse-related ones. And most of them that I'm thinking of just have the name of the horse or camp in them. So there was one, okay. where a line was, that's what I learned at my camp, hoofbeat. But a Love friend that. of mine did make up a song called Grey Pony that was about horses. That was a song that she had written, my friend Jenny, and... I'm curious if they still sing it then because it definitely survived for a long time and it's a song that really gets stuck in your head. So it reached a point where counselors were making a habit of banning it from camp until, say, the last day. So Yeah, we, we had a song like that that was banned from song session until the last day also. What it was... Fred, there's a song about a, some guy named Fred and kids would, like, pound on the tables after dinner, like, Fred, Fred! Fred, Fred, and we just had to be like, no, there is no Fred. <laughs> and, and then people would be like, Fred is dead. Fred is dead. Fred is dead. And then on the last night, Louis would sing the song about Fred, which I can't even remember at the moment. I mean, and meanwhile, some kid actually named Fred is just sitting there with his <laughs> I mean, lower just, lip out looking sad. Just, just think how ludicrous that sounds now. <laughs> oh, but it's like everything at camp. <laughs> Yeah. That is so funny. 
Okay, moving on to question three. Most embarrassing moment at camp. I imagine when there's horses involved, although it's, your story doesn't have to involve a horse, but it would be oh, great it if it did. Um, tell us about that. So I fell off a horse in front of my boss the first week that I was a staff member. And to You're give like, you a bit I of swear background. I, I swear I can ride. <laughs> yeah, to give you a bit of background, I was on my first staff trail ride, which is a really exciting staff privilege that you get where you can go on trail rides with other staff members and be by yourselves and very relaxing and you ride out in the woods. It's like and no campers. What's that? No campers. No campers. And the oh. other bit, bit of background is that in Wisconsin, and I've never heard of anyone talk about this animal outside of this camp, but we had something called duck flies. And they were basically like a house fly on steroids, and they made a sound like a helicopter. And if you saw one, and especially if it landed on your horse, you needed to hit it as hard as you can and say, well, bam, for extra effect. This is what we told the kids. Because if you did not kill the duck fly, there is a chance that the duck fly might bite your horse, and horses do not like to be... Okay, I'm just going to stop you right there. Is it possible that those are just horse flies and you call them a different name because you didn't want to offend the horses? I like your explanation, and you're not the first person to say this to me recently, but I did a little bit of checking. Okay. Horse flies definitely do not look exactly the same as duck flies. Okay, I'm just checking. They, they just look a little bit different, but I'm very curious if anyone who hears the show will also have an experience with duck flies that they okay. can share. But anyway, back to the story. So I'm 15 years old, brand new junior counselor, just finished my training program going on my first staff trail ride. I'm so excited. I want to make a good impression on my new boss and is a married couple that ran the camp. And my friend Jenny and I were out on this ride and we came just trotting back. We were almost back to the barn and all of a sudden my horse just took off. And I realized as my life was flashing before my eyes that it was not because of any reason except that there was a duck fly that had landed on the horse's rump and she was not very pleased with that. So I'm holding the reins in one hand, trying to pull back and get her to stop at the same time as I'm trying to hit the duck fly so it doesn't bite her and make her more upset. And at a certain point, it's just not working and I decide that I need to bail or do something. And so I end up sort of half falling off, half getting off and landing on my butt as the horse goes running back toward the barn. And I look up from my position on the ground and there are my bosses taking an evening stroll toward me. Most embarrassing moment. <laughs> it was very, very embarrassing. I'm, but you were okay. Like that, that sounds like I would have been in a hospital if that had happened. No, I mean, I've fallen off a horse a lot of times and I think most people who are riding instructors and who have been riding most of their life have also fallen off many, many times. So I was fine. I remember, I do remember the next day feeling really bruised and having to put on my socks a particular way. Cause I couldn't quite bend my leg in the right way for a day or so, but I was fine. It was just my pride that was injured from that one. Yes. Sometimes that's worse. Um, did you have bunks at camp? Top bunk or bottom bunk? What's your preference? Bottom bunk with? the top bunk for my stuff. Oh, could you do that? That is the gold standard. <laughs> it was based on seniority. So by the time I was program director, I always had that kind of setup. But the bottom bunk is preferable, especially if you're working at a barn because you come in and you have your muddy boots. And sometimes you just want to sit down for a moment and rest without taking your boots off or getting anything dirty or getting them on the bunk ladder. 
and we were we were tired. So having that bottom bunk, but then to not have a camper sleep above you if you had the seniority where there was an extra bunk and you could do that, that was the way to go, truly. Okay, and our last question is, what is something that you look back on at camp and you say, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that we did that? This is our wild card question for tonight. Okay, so there are a couple things, and I even fact-checked these earlier today because I wanted to make sure from other <laughs> I appreciate that. Actually, things that happened because they seem sort of out there. The first one is that when I was a camper, if one of the campers was taking too long to take a shower, there was a counselor who would bring the camp goat into the bathroom and poke the goat's head into the shower. I, I love that the camp goat is so close to the cabin that that is actually a possibility and something that people would do. <laughs> I, I don't wish. Think this is a particularly common thing, but it definitely happens, and I still think it's funny god i'm so sad that this is an audio podcast i really wish people could see the look that i made when you say that on your face that is so awesome (laughs) wait and i I have one more and this was the one i really had to fact check because i had never personally experienced this but before i was a counselor there was a hazing ritual called triple crowning and I'm told this was back in the era of male counselors. When but first of all, I want, hey, Micah, I want you to take a guess. What's triple crowning? Wait, I'm not going to tell you yet. Guess. All right. Well, I mean, shit. I mean, I, my first it's, inclination is to go like correct. super dirty. Uh, but obviously, okay, so triple crown and horse racing is like winning three races, the three big races. So uh, I'm thinking it's got something to do with like uh, – riding like on your counselor like a piggyback and running around camp against other kids or something nope and i think it has something to do with someone's underwear i don't know why i think that something underwear on your head like a crown i like the way you think triple crowning was when somebody dipped you into the water trough and then and then into the manure pile that is wait who did they do that to Apparently new counselors, but this was not a thing that I had happen or that was part of the time when I was there. So this is more of a historical thing that had happened at camp that was pretty unbelievable. Uh, it kind of sounds like horseshit. <laughs> it, might, it might be. I don't know. Maybe my fact checking was all incorrect and everyone is. Uh, but I, I have some reliable sources that that may have been a thing. Man. Well, I'm, I'm that glad is, that didn't, never happened to you. That is legit hazing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's move on to uh, Bitches and Roses, a.k.a. Roses and Thorns, or Roses and Roses if you're Sarah, uh, a.k.a. Coles and Diamonds, a.k.a. Strawberries and Lemons. Um, this is where just a chance to uh, share something that's on your mind that, uh, that is a negative you want to get rid of or, uh, or something that you're very happy about. Um, so, Abigail, we'll start with you. Uh, do you have a, 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 a rose and a thorn uh, that you'd like to share? I definitely do, and it is definitely called Roses and Thorns for the for the official record. You know what? For for International Women's Day, which is when we're recording this, I will I will ban the term uh, "bitches" for the rest of the episode. Thank you. It's 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 the least I can do. All right. So my rose is you guys finding my billful article and writing to me and inviting me to be on this podcast because, first of all, it's really cool that you exist and are doing this. But second of all, to have a stranger and multiple strangers find things that I wrote and read them and write to me about them is very new and exciting for me. 
And especially as a poet, one of the things that I think poetry does to help make people brave as writers is that there's not a huge audience for poetry. So if you have a poem and you're so scared to put it in the world and then you publish it, there's not usually really a lot of blowback because most of the people who you're maybe afraid about reading it don't read it. So it's exciting to publish something where someone reads it and they invite you to be on. So thank you. That is my rose. I love that. And if you're ever in Austin, Texas, you can come to my school and you can talk to all of us about poetry. You're invited. Oh, Open invitation. I, I would love that. I would love to do that. Okay. So what, do you have a bitch for the week? Uh, I do. This is sort of or a thorn. A thorn. I'm sorry. I wasn't going to say it. A thorn. I wasn't going to say thorn. anything. You have a thorn. That's right. Micah already banned that word from the rest of the How, sorry. how dare you on International Women's Day? <laughs> so my ongoing thorn, and especially this week, is Donald Trump. And in particular, oh, because wow. I'm in favor of immigrants' rights and trans rights, it's really posing to my morals and sensibilities to have all of these executive orders and rights trampled on. So that is the thorn that I'm hoping to find some ways to cut off. How do you, how are you proactive about responding to a thorn? I'm not sure. You have to de-thorn somehow. I don't know. Yeah. I, that, I think that's a question we're all facing. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, when you I figure so out too. how we can do that, uh, please let us know. <laughs> I, I certainly will. I'm trying to work on it. I guess thinking of local ways to cut back on thorns in our roses. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for that. I, can, I, I concur. All right, Sarah. Let's hear What's your... Uh, so your, are you going to double my, rose me this time again? Yes, gonna... I double rose because I told Micah that I don't really complain. And he's like, what? You complain all the time. And I was like, That's I really a don't. That's thing to say also. <laughs> oh, I don't. I never complain. I do complain about things. I just haven't complained about things to Micah. So, you know, I do have things, but nothing I want to complain about publicly, like for the world. Um, but my rose is, is that on Saturday is my spring break starts so last day of school I have a half day Friday which is awesome and I leave for Mexico City actually not on Saturday but on Sunday I am leaving for Mexico City and I'm gonna see Micah's sister Hana who just moved there and I'm gonna hang out with her and um, I'm really excited about that I'm gonna see some old friends who are my teaching buddies from my Brazil days who are gonna meet me in Mexico City and I love that city and I love tacos pastor and I'm really excited about that. And my other rose, I think it's just that it's the International Day of Women. If you could see me, I am wearing red today. I'm, I don't have a job where I can just skip work or not show up. And my greatest gift that I give the world is is my gift of teaching. So I'm making better people. And um, that's what I did to celebrate the International Day of Women. All right, Micah, what's your um, what's your rose and what's your thorn? Yeah. Whatever order you want to take. Sure. So uh, my rose uh, is that uh, the class that I have been teaching uh, the last couple months at a uh, local college here in Georgia is over. <laughs> Hooray! Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a great experience. Uh, I feel like I got a lot out of it. I like to think that the students got, you know, something out of it. Um, but it was really like having two full-time jobs, uh, and honestly, uh, getting anything done outside of actual work and then schoolwork over the last three months has been pretty difficult. Uh, so I'm very happy. Teaching is hard. Teaching is hard, Micah. 
Yeah, you know, the teaching aspect of it wasn't so bad. It was the planning aspect of it that was so bad. Um, so uh, I liked the class. I, I disliked all of the work that came outside of the class. Um, but I did, I will say, I, I do feel like most of the time when I was thinking about what to do for class, I was going back to, like, you know, channeling my camp memories. Of like, what, what could I do? What, what did I do that was fun at camp? that could translate to this class, whether it's like an exercise or an icebreaker or what have you. Um, so I like to think that I, you know, I campified it a little bit and I like to think that, you know, that helped uh, make it more uh, entertaining for the, for the class, but either way it's over and I don't even know what to do with myself now that I have time. Uh, or at least I will have time. I'm about to be gone for a week. Uh, but, um, my, my, my thorn, uh, I almost said bitch. Uh, <laughs> my my thorn is um, exercise. I don't really enjoy exercising or running in general, and part of that is because it takes like you build up. If you've been running for a while, you build up like such great endurance, and you're running like you know you don't even feel it, and your times are great. And then you get sick for like one week, and it's like you've never run before. And so I was, I was doing so well. I was running five, six miles at a time, you know, like eight-minute miles, no sweat. And then I had like a cold or whatever for like a week and a half and went out to run like this week. And it was like every day I was like, oh, my God, I can't. I was like about to start walking. Or I was like, like that thing where it's like you're still technically running, but you're really going slower than you probably would if you were even walking with, with decent energy uh and so that's my bitch my thorn uh that i just that's why i hate running even though it's what i do because no matter how well i do it if i don't do it for a week i have to, it's like i have to start all over again it's very aggravating yeah. okay well good luck with that you can um you can, you can just <laughs> yeah good luck with that micah <laughs> first world problems i know but it still makes me angry and that's our show. Thank you again, Abigail. Um, we want to make sure everybody gets a chance to listen to this. So everybody subscribe to our podcast in iTunes and SoundCloud and wherever you get your podcasts. I personally use Stitcher. Um, you can always follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We are at Summer Camp Pod. And we are also on Instagram at Campfires and Color Wars. And I just followed you, Abigail. So um, I can't wait to see what you're up to. And remember, if you have a really great story about horse camp or about any camp that you went to that you think would be fun for people to hear or to talk to us, um, it's always fun to have a conversation about camp. Let us know um, in whatever way you want to tell us. Good old-fashioned email, summercamppod at gmail.com. Tell us, tell us where we can find you. Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram at wellhouse, and my last name has one L in it, so it's W-E-L house. And I also have a tiny letter where I send out my secret poems that I haven't shown to anyone yet or sent out for publication, and that's tinyletter.com slash wellhouse. I am going to definitely subscribe to that. You should do it. <laughs> I love it. It's like a little gift from Abigail in my, in my yes. inbox. I like to think of it that way. And I have some poetry chapbooks that are also in the world that you can find online. They're called we, Bad Baby and Too Many Humans of New York and Memento Mori. Do you have any horse poetry or camp poetry? You know, I think I have one camp poem in my first chapbook. Okay. Well, if you want to send that on to us, if you would, I absolutely I, will. We would love, we would love to read it and uh, have our listeners read it also. Sounds good.
And if you want to see what I'm eating, if you want to see me in Mexico City, um, you can find photos of travels and lots of tacos pastor at Sarah Ballant on Instagram. And Micah, where can people find you these days? If you want more from me, I'm on Twitter at Micah Hart, and I'm Moonlight on Instagram, making fun of words with friends at Rejected WWF. Uh, and again, Abigail, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, we will see you next time on Campfires and Color Wars. Don't waste a minute, Sarah. Don't waste a minute, Micah. Happiness runs in a circular motion. Thought is like a little boat upon the sea. Everybody is a part of everything anyway. You can have everything if you let yourself be.